Take your Bibles. Hopefully they're the ones that you brought with you. If not, there's some in the chair backs in front of you. Join me in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, you'll find it on page 981 if you're using an ESV or a chairback Bible. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been focusing our attention upon a simple fact. Our salvation is not based on our merit or any sort of works that we can accrue that somehow on that day after we've passed through those waters, we've gone through that great horizon and we, we see the Lord on His judgment throne and the, the, the balances are there. It's not as if we can take our good deeds and our merit and toss them upon that, that balance and if they balance out, then somehow we are justified. No. We've talked about this for the last few weeks. It's as if we're using a currency that does not budge those balances at all. Because God's standard is perfection. It is a holiness, a holy righteousness. And there's nothing that we can do. Because we are conceived in sin, we are born in sin, and we sin. We are masters of it. And there's nothing that we can do to keep that stain of sin off of what we give. And because of that, we do not balance those scales. We don't budge those scales. There is nothing we can do to, to gain righteousness before a holy God. And so God in His goodness, God in His goodness and His kindness, He has provided. He's provided what Paul calls an alien righteousness, a righteousness that's outside of us, that's not our own. And he's provided it to us by faith. So, clearly salvation leans upon counting all as lost, counting everything that we think we've done that could be acceptable before God as loss and saying it does not count, it, does, it amounts for nothing. The only thing that amounts for anything are the merits of Christ. And so we hold fast to Christ by faith. And for Paul and for most of us, that's a hard lesson to learn. And that's something that we have to continually remind ourselves of it's a hard lesson, but it's a necessary lesson. If we put our hope of righteousness in anything other than Christ alone, we're going to end up without hope at all. Because He is the only hope that we have. We've been noting that in God's econo economy, Jesus' blood and righteousness is the only acceptable currency before God. It's Jesus' Plus, nothing equals salvation. And we respond to it by faith. By faith. Which is simply, as we saw last week, receiving and resting in Christ alone for salvation. That's what faith is. The next step may be to say, well, if that's the case, if we couldn't get ourselves into this, if, if our actions have no say in our salvation, only in our faith, then let us coast. Let's coast. Let's enjoy this thing. YOLO. You only live once. Let's enjoy this. Uh, nothing else has been done. It's finished. Let's just wait this out until glory comes. Or worse, let's go on and sin 
that grace may abound. And the scripture speaks to both of those things, and it does so with a resounding, no, let it never be so. We cannot have that attitude. We've been saved by grace through faith, but we've also been created in Christ Jesus for good works. So Paul is going to transition a bit. He's going to give the church a charge for maturity. He's going to give us a charge for maturity. And so here's where we're going to go for the next few verses. This charge for maturity looks like this. Explaining the Christian walk in verse 12, he wants us to see it's not a sinless perfection. It's not a sinless perfection. So if you're taking notes, this is our outline. Verse 12, it is not a sinless perfection. Verse 13, Christian maturity is ignoring the past. Is ignoring the past. Verse 14, we'll see it's pressing on towards the prize. It's pressing on towards the prize. And finally, in verse 15, it's relying on God's providence. Relying on God's providence. That's where we're headed. We're going to look and see this Christian walk, what it means for us. This maturity, how do we become a mature believer now that we know that we couldn't get ourselves in? And, uh, and it relies on God to justify and to sanctify. But how do we join Him in that? What does it look to walk as someone who believes? We're going to find out. Let's pray. Father, as we come to Your Word, we thank You for it. We thank You that You have given us the provision of Christ. We could not do any good on our own. We could not earn for ourselves anything before you, but we were headed towards an eternity without you. But you have made a way, and you've done so in your body broken, in your blood shed, and in the fact that you have risen to life again, and you are our only hope. You are a great hope. We thank you that even now you live to intercede for us, Christ Jesus. You are praying for your people And so we ask that you would help us, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to be a people who when we fear our faith may fail, that you hold us fast and that we tether ourselves to you, our sure and steady anchor. When the trials come, when the storms of life come, and even through the wave of death, that we might be seen through to the very end and that we would do so knowing we have done everything we can to strain ahead, to grasp for likeness of yours, Christ. Would you help us that we might look more like you and less like who we do today and less like the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 12. Our maturity is not a perfect maturity. It's not a sinless perfection. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about something that he has mentioned prior. Not that I have already obtained this. Well, what is the this? The this is having all of Christ's righteousness and being perfected in him that 
He knows Christ perfectly in the power of his resurrection, that he's sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that he may attain the resurrection from the dead. He is not a perfect person. Yes, even Paul is a sinful person. He's using himself as an example just as he has been uh, since the beginning of this chapter. And if you remember back to verse 6, in his self-righteousness, when he thought that he was rocking along and he was doing everything that he could and that somehow God was going to see all of his inherited, his inherited merit and his work as some sort of righteousness that was acceptable, all that self-righteousness, he had even come to a point where he thought he was perfect. And if you'll look at that verse, it says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He thought he was blameless in the sight of God. Now, here's the thing. The law for him was a bit of a sliding scale. He believed God worked on a curve, graded on a curve. And he and the other Pharisees were the judges of that. But after experiencing Christ, after gazing into the searing holiness that is Christ, he realized just how truly lacking of perfect righteousness he really was. And his assessment of himself after that point was way different. He says, whoa, am I not perfect? I've seen perfection and I'm not that. I haven't already obtained the walk I desire. Now, what was the walk that he desired? Remember, it was that. By any means possible, he might attain resurrection from the dead. We noted last week that this was not just the resurrection in the end, but that he had placed a little Greek preposition at the beginning of resurrection out. And so what he wanted to say was, I want to be one that is standing up outwardly. I'm living, living out the power of a resurrected life, and I want everybody to think of me as such. I want to be doing this in a measure that I look as though I'm the living among the dead. That's how much I want to stand out for God. And this, but here's the thing, this has to be an encouragement for us because what Paul is doing right now is he's confessing, look, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I want to be in this life. And I know some of you, and I've heard this from you, you know, I'm just not where I want to be in my walk. I've said it. I would say right now, yeah, I'm not where I want to be. And if there is ever a time where I go, I'm right where I want to be, I hope the Lord thumps me, or one of you thumps me and goes, wake up. You still have more to be sanctified out of you. And so, he says, I have work to do. I didn't have to work for my salvation. That was accomplished by the work of Christ. But I have to work to be sanctified. I want to work with God I want, to, I want to pursue Christ. The reality of Christ living in you will be seen in a desire for holiness. And here's the thing. If you've never desired holiness in your life, let me earnestly plead with you. Search your heart to see if you be in the faith. Because a, a person who has exercised faith in Christ 
in whom the Holy Spirit resides, God's own Spirit, who is holy, 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 as He changes us into the nature and likeness of Christ, that's going to be a product. A product of that change in us is that we're going to want to be holy. We're going to be want to be like God. We're going to look at the things that we once enjoyed that are wicked and evil and sinful, and we're going to go, no. I now have the power to renounce ungodliness. I don't want that anymore. So, for a believer, there should be this holy discontent. And Paul is describing it. Look at the next part of verse 12. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, I press on to be holy. I press on for Christ's likeness and I want to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Press on is the Greek word diako and it's an illustrative term of a Greek runner, a marathon runner, a sprinter who is just blazing down the track. And Paul is saying, I want to keep on chasing. I want to keep the chase up in this life for maturity, for Christ's likeness. I want to keep up the chase for perfection, knowing that it will always be out of reach until the time that I reach glory. But, but my goal is to get as close as I can before glory. And he's not giving up. Now we might think, well, it's always out of reach, Paul. And you're telling us we should want this maturity and we should want to press on. What's the use? Why go to all the trouble? Because Paul knows what it's for. Christ Jesus has called him out. Christ Jesus has made him his own. And if you are in Christ, if, if you are a believer, you have been made Christ's. You are his precious possession. I love the, the imagery in Titus. Titus uses the, uh, the imagery of, of a field general who is victorious in battle. And the field general who is victorious in battle um, can go into the battlefield where the spoils of war are kept. And he points out things and he says, that, I want that. Take it to my personal store. That, I want that. Take it to my personal store. And he says, that's what has happened to us in our calling and election. God has gone into the world and said, I want him, I want her for me, my personal store. I have made them my own, and I don't give them up. But instead, I've bought them with the precious blood of Christ, my own precious blood. And so... Here's the thing, this made me his own is literally seized me or grasped me. And it's a consistency in scripture. Even when Jesus speaks in John 6 and he says, all that the Father calls will come to me, come to me, come is actually literally drags because in our sin we must be drugged from it. Kicking and screaming at times. But he will, by the power of the Spirit, when he makes us his own, he will get us and he will bring us in and he will hold us fast. Now, 
Paul is saying, I want to press on because he's made me his own. I want to make this my own. This is my walk. I want to be mature in it. Now, here's the thing. Haven't we all shared in this experience that we want to make someone proud? I know I have. My mother's here this week. Believe me. There have been times where I've said, I want to make my mom proud when I was a kid. Even now, I guess. Or... Some of us who we've got an uncle or an aunt or someone who raised us or a mentor, and we say, I, I, I want to make them proud. because, and, and let's say it's even we know they're watching. Well, when they're watching, we want to even go further beyond, right? Let's say they made it to our game that, that week or they made it to that recital. We say, oh, man, I've got to really give it my all because I want to make them proud. In Christ, God is our Father. We've been adopted by Him. And He's watching. He's given us all the tools. He's prepared us. And here's the thing. We can be honest that even through His Spirit, He is cheering us on. Let's go. Let's go, son. Let's go, daughter. He wants our best. And when we fall short... We know there's forgiveness with him that he might be feared. See, the wise man falls seven times and gets back up. We know it should cause us to go even harder. And Paul is saying, I've been made Christ's. And because of that, I know I'm under his watchful eye. And I want to make him proud. I want to go for it. And I want to get as close as I can to him as possible. So knowing that God has gone to such lengths to redeem us, and make us his own, it should make us want to do that, but it should also make us want to forget the past. Forget the past. Look at verse 13. The Christian walk is marked by ignoring the past. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, before we read this and we think, well, that means that we need to have some sort of amnesia. Complete amnesia is not the prescription here. No, we need to qualify this as selective amnesia. There's just, a f- there's just certain things that we need to forget. Forgetfulness is selective because here's the thing. We cannot forget God's past mercies. We can't forget what God has done in our lives. No, that's the motivation That's the fuel. Just as Romans 12.1 starts, it says, Live in light of past mercies. In view of mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. But these are past sins. Past sins. Christ is our mercy seat. He is our scapegoat. All of our guilt for sin has been placed upon him and extinguished. And sin as far as the east is from the west. We don't have to endure it anymore. <clears throat> so if you're living in guilt, if you're a Christian this morning and you're living in guilt over past sins, I just have one word for you this morning. Stop it. Stop. It's as easy. Stop. You're not truly trusting in the grace of Christ. His power has done away with all of that for you. God will remember your sins no more. God says, I've taken it. 
and I've placed it behind my back. Anthropomorphism, yes, but it just means that they're out of my sight. I see you in Christ. I don't see your sin anymore. And you need to forget that too. And you need to press ahead. Your failures are not failures. You forget those. You forget those. And you press on. Press on. But here's what we often do. We often remember our unconverted selves. We often, oftentimes remember our past um, or our youth with rose-colored glasses. Like, you know, I wasn't that bad. Um, and in fact, even if we, we don't say, well, I wasn't that bad, but we, we just say, um, we, we look at our sins and we go, you know, that was really fun. I miss that. No, you forget that. But we, we have a tendency to do this. God's people do, do too. Listen to what um, is accounted for in Numbers 11, verses 5 and 6. Numbers 11, 5 and 6. This is after God has saved his people from Egypt and the exodus has happened. The people said, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. God's people had wandered around in the wilderness because of their disobedience and they, they forgot that the whole reason God had sent them out there was to show them that he wanted to be with them. Gave them a tent of meeting, said sit it right in the camp, had a pillar of fire by night, cloud by day, God was there, he was walking with them, and they said, you know what, I'd rather have than God's presence, I would rather be a slave in Egypt and be able to eat a watermelon. I'd rather have cucumbers dipped in some of that good Egyptian ranch than to, uh, than to follow after God and have to eat manna to eat his provision." And sometimes we do this. We begin to think back. Yeah, I remember. I remember what it was like before I became a Christian or before I exercised faith in Christ. Those were good times. Oh, I had fun. But what do I, show, what do I, what do I have to show for following God? All I have right now are the promises of God because everything seems to be going... It's a pot, to use a southernism. Remember, remember, you were enslaved before. You had no freedom. All you could do was do what made you feel good, and all it was doing was leaving and leading you to a Christless eternity completely unfulfilled in spirit. And in soul. But now you have a hope. Now you're free. Now you have a future. Stop looking back. Because if you keep looking back, you're just going to continue to wander in the wilderness. You're going to go in circles and you're not going to mature as a Christian. So forget the past and strain towards the future. Maybe this morning you're hung up on what others have done to you. 
maybe you're hung up on how others have sinned against you or perhaps what you think someone has done to you. Then again, maybe it's about you. Maybe you're hung up on you. Maybe you get bogged down in what you've done. Or maybe you get bogged down in what you haven't done. And so there's this great cloud of sins and promises broken and failures and words spoken or words unspoken. God through Paul this morning is saying to you, get over it. Really? Life's too short to waste any more of it on the past. Press towards the future. Forget the past. If you're going to remember anything of the past, remember the faithfulness of the Lord to bring you to this point and let it motivate you to press on. To press on. Before we leave, we're going to remember the foremost of things that we're to remember at these tables. We are. But but before you even do that, I would say, those things that hinder you this morning, all those weights, all that sin, all those promises, all everything, all the junk, leave it right there in your seat before you start down the aisle. Leave it there. And don't go back to your seat and pick it up. Set it on fire. Set it on fire. I'm sure somebody has a lighter. You may say, well, that seems really nice, preacher. <laughs> seems really nice. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what they've done to me. I've done this dance before. I've tried. And it all comes rushing back. What do I do then? Listen, this is a fight for the mind. This is a fight for your mind. It's the reason why God would say, love him with all of your mind. And it's a struggle. It is a huge struggle. But you have to remind yourself of the power of the resurrection. He arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. And when he arose and you placed your faith in him, Here's the thing, it says, when Christ died, you died with him. And you died to the elemental things of this world. You died to the worries of this world. They were nailed to the cross. They were buried in a tomb. And when he rose in new life, all of your garbage stayed in the tomb. All of it stayed in the tomb. And we are a people who have been crucified to this world. You live in Him. You stand on every promise of His Word. So pray for the strength to be able to remind yourself all of the garbage, all of the junk, it's been paid for, it's been done away with, it's been buried in a tomb. And there it is to stay. And find a people, find some friends, find a church that can help you walk and and. And people that can help remind you of this very truth when you have a hard time of reminding yourself of this truth. We're to strain forward to what lies ahead. Strain, uh, what, what lies ahead. This verb is, again, another runner verb. Approaching a finish line. And we don't know when the finish line is coming in our lives. We don't know when it's coming. 
but we need to be running hard for it. We need to be active in sanctification. Sanctification is just purification, making, making sure that we are getting, we are looking holy. The thing that's going to cause us to forget the past and press on to what lies ahead is what lies ahead. It's found in verse 14. Verse 14, the Christian walk is marked out by pressing on toward the prize. Pressing on toward the prize. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. The problem is with us because we read this and we may think, well, that's it. That's it. That's the goal. That's the prize. If your action is this is the goal, this is the prize, it's God in Christ Jesus, that's all, then I would say, again, adamantly, search yourself to see if you be in the faith. Because the prize is Jesus, and it's all Jesus. Eternal life revolves around Jesus. But we have this faulty understanding of what heaven is, and everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And everybody wants to go to heaven, but a majority of people that want to go to heaven don't want Christ to be there when they go through the gates. But the only thing we're promised is Christ. And if you're let down by that, that's a problem. If you're thinking, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to get all the things I ever wanted, well, if you went to heaven and you got all the things you ever wanted and Christ was not there, would you be satisfied? And for many of us, we would say yes. I think many of us, we would say yes. But that is not what it means to be a Christian. That's not what it means to be in Christ. We should so long to say, you know, I don't care what is there as long as Christ is there. Because if everything I ever wanted was there and Christ was not there, that's not heaven. That's hell. That's what I struggle with now. And so the prize is Jesus. That's what we've been promised. And that's what Paul says, that's what I want. It's a lofty goal. I want the full knowledge of the likeness of Christ now so that when I get there, I'm not let down. He is my prize. He is my goal. One commentator states, when this perfection is called goal, it's viewed as the object of the human striving. When it's called prize, it is viewed as the gift of God's sovereign grace. Though it is true that this believing and this striving are from start to finish completely dependent on God's grace, nevertheless, it is we who must embrace Christ and salvation in Him. It is we who must strive to enter in. God does not do this believing and striving for us. The prize is for those with the upward call of God, it says. This prize is awarded at the finish line. And when Paul, Paul says, when I get that upward call, I'm not going to be found wandering around the course, lost, wondering where the finish line is. I'm going to be bursting through the finish line, saying, where is the prize for the race I've run? Where is 
He. Let's do the same. Let's do the same, church. But we have to do so relying on God's providence. This is our last point, verse 15. Let those of us who think they are mature think this way. Stop there for just a moment. This is the challenge for us, to think in the same way because we often don't. Another thing, just in passing, that I want to make you aware of, most of the Christian life is peddled as some hypersensitive feelings, emotion, experience-driven thing. I want you to notice that most of what we've seen here is not experience, emotion. It's mindful. Mindful. Think. You don't turn off your mind when you come through those doors to worship. That's paganism. No, we think. We engage. We do this by the letter of the book. We think of what Christ has done and his promises to us. That's what we have. We have his revelation. And so for the mature, true and maturing Christian, we'll adopt this mindset to pursue personal holiness. Think here is the word phroneo. It means to direct your mind towards. And I love that imagery of that word, direct your mind toward, because um, I, I think I often need to be as zealous as those sign twirlers on the side of the road. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody seen these guys? Okay. I'm thinking like that. I'm thinking that's what I need in my mind. I need a little sign twirler who's dancing on the corner going, don't go this way. This is Christ. This is, Christ. This is your goal. This is your prize. This is holiness right here. And you need to go this way. I know, how you, I know where you want to go. And I need a sign twirler. I need somebody to get in my way. Anyway, maybe that's just me. Maybe you think of something else. Uh, the airport guy with the batons that light up in the night. They go, look, you need to come this way. But we need to do that. We need to direct our mind is what this think. Direct your mind. Get your attitude right. It's a challenging word, but we can fall into this lukewarm mentality. If you think that in some area of your life you've arrived, as you've gone about as far as you can go, God's going to change that attitude. That's what this verse is saying. If you're his, he's going to change that attitude. Look at the next clause. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. This verse is his providential everyday grace for us. If we believe Christ's likeness is attain unattainable, we just won't do, do it anymore. God's going to go, no, I don't think so. You may do that for a while, but I'm not going to let you stay there because you're mine. I've made you my own, and I'm going to put within you the desire to make me your own. And he's going to work on us like that. But God won't allow us to continue in a state of apathy. He won't allow us to say, yeah, running the race really isn't worth it for me. I'm going to sit up in the stands for a while and watch others do it. Paul says, you can trust the Lord to light a fire again. But some of us might want to get a kickstart on that and pray this morning that God would do it in our hearts. Lord, light the fire in us again. Kindle something within us that makes us want to know you just as Paul has said he wants to know you. Maybe 
That needs to be your prayer. It may be the prayer you need to start every morning with. Lord, search me to see if this apathetic attitude is still there and then put it to death. Has dust accumulated on your Bible at home? How about your app? Has your app given up on you? Have you ever had that happen, your Bible app, where it goes, are you still there? Gives you a little email, like, are you still alive? Because you haven't been reading the Bible. Have you? Have you been keeping a quiet around those who are perishing just for the sake of comfort? If God reveals these things to you this morning, here's my encouragement to you. Take the baton and sprint. Take the baton and run. Run hard after Christ. And we know things are going to hinder us. We know things are going to hinder us. But if we're not willing to disturb our routine for the, for the sake of sanctification, we need to see whether or not we, we've been sanctified at the beginning or not. If, if, if you knew that keeping the TV off at night is, is what's keeping you from spending time in prayer and the Word, would you do it? Could you do it? Could you turn the TV off or keep it off for a while? If you knew that social media was keeping you from it, could you keep it off? Fill in the blank. What is keeping you from straining and running towards Christ-likeness? Fight to love the Lord. If you think He's worth it, you'll prioritize. This is not legalism. This is, this is just for the sake of Christian maturity, of knowing Christ more. That's not legalism. That's a good, pure, and holy passion. You shouldn't spend time with your spouse out of a sense of obligation or duty. You don't go home and go, well, you know, I vowed that I'd come home and spend time with you, so what's up? Oh, I vowed, yeah, okay. So let's, let's have this conversation. If that's your marriage, then you need counsel, and I'd love to talk to you. Or you think, well, I think the kids need to see me, spend some time with them, so here goes. The same goes for any relationship. And Jesus is alive. He is a living person. He's, start with talking to him. Start with confession. Start with an apology, perhaps. I haven't been faithful. I've been a harlot. You deserve far more. Please help me. Let us give heed to this. Hebrews chapter 12, and this is how we'll finish. Hebrews chapter 12, page 1008 in your Bibles. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let that be our attitude. Because 
Christ is worth it. He is a prize like no other. And perhaps that should be our prayer this morning. Lord, remind us of what a true treasure you are. Remind us of what it means to be blessed in your presence. And for some of us, we may need to give our souls a pep talk. And that's what we're going to do with this song as we approach him.